round two, and this is another episode of the podcast. This is now, it was called Honest Conversations, and as of today, because I did a lot of research on the name Honest Conversations, and apparently, when you search Honest Conversations, there's another podcast, there's a couple other podcasts that are all Christian-based podcasts that are all Honest Conversations, Talking to God, about faith and there is nothing wrong with that i want to make sure that i'm abundantly clear about that but that is not what i'm going for right here i'm trying to have real conversations with real people essentially about nothing i want to get to know them and i want to get to know like the nuances and the idiosyncrasies of like very in-depth conversations about particular situations that are happening in their lives or how they got to where they are so, all things that could easily be explained with a short story, but we're going to do a long-form conversation. So, this podcast is now going to be called Short Story Long. I like it. Yeah. Uh, that phrase was actually coined by my girlfriend. <laughs> Every single time that she gets like on a diatribe of like a rant, and she'll start talking about nonsense. She'll just start word vomiting about something. And she'll know that it's, like, a story that can be just easily explained in, like, one sentence. She'll, like, in the middle of it or, like, towards the end of it, like, as a punchline, she'll say, short story long, the cats got fed or some shit like that. <laughs> and uh, and I, it just cracks me up every single time. So I think that that is a good, I think that's a good pivot for the name of this podcast and also just... Whoever I bring on, it's not just like an honest conversation. It's just, we're just talking. Mm -hmm. It's not that big of a deal. There's no pressure, you know? She's clearly said it enough where it's stuck with you, right? Oh, my God. Well, it's not just stuck with me. It's It's one of the funniest things that she said to my dad. And my dad almost fell out of his chair. (laughs) Because he's like, (laughs) because you know my dad. He'll, he's paying attention so that he can engage with the story. And my girlfriend can sometimes talk in like a circle and go over details that really don't make much sense to the story, but they paint a full picture. And it's so hilarious because when she was, I don't remember the story that she was telling my dad, but she said short story long. And I just remember my mom looking at me and then looking at my dad and just closing her eyes and thinking, that has to be the funniest statement that I've ever heard in my life. Because my girlfriend was just rambling at the time at dinner. But that's, that's the reason why I love my girlfriend. It's always entertaining. Now, if you get famous, which you will, with this podcast, then that's what I'm putting some, out there. Show some credit in that stake. Well, be careful. No, I'm, I'm well. Well, here's the thing: is that we're we're partners, right? I'm not afraid of sharing anything with her. And I know that my my mentality behind my relationship is whatever is mine is hers and whatever hers is mine. And that's how I feel that a good relationship should be. Obviously, there is separation and there are boundaries that are clearly stated. There's not really like a lot of muddy waters with that anymore. But... I, 
whenever I have a success, the person that I want to share it with is her. And that's when I come on here and I put something on wax, I'm not just doing it for me. Mm-hmm. I'm doing it for the people that I love. I'm doing it because the people that are coming on this podcast are doing me a favor. Whether they are or I'm doing them a favor, it's serving me more than it ever is serving them because I love doing this. I don't care who listens. I had a little bit of imposter syndrome the other day, and I had talked about it on my last podcast with Michael on Be Rare. And the analogy that I did was I felt like I was shedding a skin by going through that. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. Go on, though. So I had... I didn't really explain it very well because I was so spaced out. I told you I was a little bit under the influence and I just wasn't, I didn't have my motor going and I felt like I couldn't connect my words in my head with as fast as they were coming out of my mouth, which was extremely slow and lethargic. But the essence of what I was saying was... I'm starting this journey, this new journey and this new endeavor that I really love and I really enjoy. And I'm putting it out there for everybody to see, for everybody to basically criticize and to take that feedback to refine my process. Mm -hmm. So the thing that is really a mind fuck is when you're putting things out there and you're not getting any feedback or you're getting minimal feedback from what resources that you have. Yeah, it defeats the purpose of the mentality almost. Almost. And especially with how lofty my goals are, my eventual goals, I take that as such an ego hit. And it's so hard to remove the ego from something that is so personal. Mm-hmm. Because it, I don't want to say that it's almost impossible to detach the ego from something personal because it there is totally the ability to do it Mm -hmm. but that is almost transcendental at that point gotta be a master yeah and you have to have a lot of reps in a lot of tries a lot of tries and a lot of failures and so i had a very difficult time when i was going through and editing these podcasts and putting them up especially the one that i did with blake you know Blake Fosfed, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's he CrossFit guy, has Walter, the mm-hmm. dog, um, finance manager. And we had a really good conversation. We had a great conversation about how the economy was affected by COVID and how he saw this V-shaped curve and how we were actually going to be back as long as everything was going to be going back to normal. He anticipated that we were going to be back to where we were economically by the end of the year, if not above that, and being on track. But it's refreshing. It's yeah, I mean, it's it's good news, right? Mm, Absolutely. Yeah, it's um, it's just hard when you put out something like that and you have something good like that, Mm -hmm. and you get minimal feedback from people because it's because you know what you're putting out. Or at least that's, in my opinion, I, I know what I'm putting out. I'm not putting out bullshit. I'm not putting out something so that people just look at me mm-hmm. 
like, hey, I have this podcast. Please pay attention to me. It's not what I'm doing. Yeah, it's more I, authentic. It's way more authentic. And I'm trying to, and as much as I'm trying to understand somebody else, I'm trying to refine my thought process. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to know more about the subjects that I'm interviewing so that I can acquire that knowledge so that the next interview that I have, like the one that I'm having right now, and the conversation that I'm having, short story long, I'm able to come to it more prepared and I'm able to refine that process so that I can have a better interview. I see what you did there. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, and I've also thought about the way that I'm going to work in that title. <laughs> like, okay, short story long, what happened? You're going to have lots of opportunities. I think so. I think that it's good. You know, <laughs> I think that it's just like it fits with what I'm doing. You know, I'm trying to have, I'm trying to give people the ability to explain themselves because I find it super interesting, like the nuances of situations, especially being a salesman, Mm -hmm. because I talk myself into something and then I have to talk my way out of it. Yeah. Right. And it's just not, (laughs) sometimes it's difficult and sometimes I get my back against a wall and I put myself in a corner and I don't know what to do and I have to just keep talking until I find an exit (laughs) and a solution to the problem. But that's not always, but this is different because now I'm having to play with marketing and an algorithm on Instagram and possibly an algorithm on YouTube and expanding beyond the usual friends that I have that'll always support me because i know that i have like a group of like 10 to 15 people that no matter what will always love me unconditionally unless i unless i like murder somebody but yeah like they're my homies and they're, they're they're people that i would consider my family and that's so difficult to find but at the core of it I also need to expand. I can't just play to that audience. I need to figure out what my demographic is, but at the same time serve my own purpose and ride that fine line. Mm -hmm. And that's so difficult, especially when you're talking about interviewing people and bringing on people that you want to bring on because it's not always going to fit in the same box because human beings are dynamic. We're complicated, right? I can like tennis as well as be a huge professional wrestling fan. I can be a white kid that grew mostly up in Treasure Island in Delaware and still write rap. Hmm. Like, I don't... Things don't fit into the same box. Like, it's not... We're not just one thing. People are not just one thing. People are dynamic creatures with lots of interesting, cool traits that they might know and might not know they have, but everyone's an expert in something, the life they've lived and what they've seen. That's true. I mean, if we switch it over to you, I mean, you're kind of an expert in something too, right? You've embarked on this journey where you are a life coach. Uh, for lack of a better term. I would say, um, yes, I'm pursuing my uh, a career in coaching, personal 
coaching, motivational coaching, and uh, don't view myself quite as the expert yet. I'm still a student. I think I'll always be a student, but um, trying to put together a little jambalaya, if you will, of my uh, views on life, just in terms of mentally, um, nutritionally, and then outlook, and unlimited possibility. So I uh, enjoy pumping people up, but more more so than just pumping people up, I enjoy giving people a platform to express themselves and talk and uh, have someone to listen to and challenge them to almost better themselves and what they can do. Cool. Yeah, I like helping people help themselves. Yeah. I know that you kind of went into it in more of a vague, more of like a broad stroke of it. What does that mean, though, in terms of your philosophy on that? Because helping people help themselves, that is a very, that can be a very lonely road and usually is a very lonely road, especially when you're talking about self-love and self-care. Mm-hmm. So what's your philosophy on that, man? Well, I'm not here to dismiss that self-love is an important thing or a be-all, end-all thing. Um, I think regardless of the situation we find ourselves in in life, self-love is important. I'm not advocating a life of living by yourself and only loving yourself, but I think it's a big thing. Humans just uh, lack the ability to fully love themselves or forgive themselves for things that they might feel they've committed or wrong done. Um, Some real, some not even real, made up, but uh, having a good relationship with yourself the way you talk to yourself and uh how you look at the world and how you tell yourself the story of you you in that world i think uh bears a lot of weight in your success in life um in terms of happiness uh, finances um and just overall possibilities of what life can be if it's a glass half full or glass half empty way of looking at it that's so difficult though because a lot of people don't try to help write their own story, right? Because we were talking about it earlier, how, not earlier, but in the first podcast that we did together, how people don't even know that other people are changing in the cycles of their lives, but they're playing the same characters. Mm-hmm. What you're talking about is people don't have... Some people don't actually have an active role in the way that they're writing their own story. Yes. Which they are the protagonist, they're the main character. Yeah. Not the victim. No. But a lot of people play that role. Yeah, without even realizing it, they go into making their decisions shaped on what's burned them in the past or what's hurt them. Humans have a funny way of associating with pains that we've gone through or learned in life and disassociating sometimes from the good things we go through because they're good and they're normal and that's what we expect but then something negative or tricky comes along their path and it's a really easy thing to uh, implement or implant in your memory and then um, go to as a reminder to validate or help you make decisions which keeps you in a very 
conspicuous loop that you don't really realize at the time, but keeps overplaying over and over and over. We find yourself in the same situation with different people, same circumstances and same event going on and turns into a deja vu almost. So what is your methodology of breaking out of that then? What, what is your creed in terms of that process? Because that is such a hard loop to break out of, especially when you're talking about negativity and in some cases and in most cases trauma Mm -hmm. because we were talking about it on the first podcast that we did is that people will just go through the same cycles and react to different situations but what they're really doing is they're reacting to the same trauma Mm -hmm. so what is your philosophy on that how do you break somebody out of that pattern that's such a hell of a pattern to break out of because it seems like that is such an ingrained thing in our monkey and lizard brain because it's we're trying to protect ourselves from, you know, a predator almost. Yeah. It's very subjective on a personal basis to who you're talking to with how entrenched they are in that particular pattern or that particular way of looking at life. Um, so you kind of have to feel that out with the individual. But mainly uh, people need to talk about it and address it. But address it with a defined time limit that you can talk about it in terms of complaining about it or identifying it um, because it's easy to sit at an awareness party where you're just conscious of something making aware awareness comments towards something over and over without actually doing anything which gets pretty counteractive and redundant after time so i find it's a lot better if we uh throw it out on the table and say the thing that won't be named and name it and put it out there uh address it identify it and then at that point we need to develop uh, strategies or outlooks on how we're going to either cope with it, deal with it, or put it to bed in that sense. So it's definitely giving people a platform to talk about whatever this trauma or issue or what's bugging them or what they feel is holding them back. And then, like I said, after we identify it, we attack it. So it's um, it's a very quick and effortless step, but it's a step nonetheless where we don't dwell and wait too much time, waste too much time between the identification and then the actual process of attacking it, like I said. It's almost like there's a window of time where yeah. you have, or it, it, at least that's what it sounds like when you're describing it to me, where there's a window of time when you first acknowledge something that you have a window in a period where you can get after the problem that you're trying to solve instead of continuing to acknowledge it or almost have a pity party. Exactly. And on a law of attraction manifestation level, once we name it out there in the universe, then we do, we have a little window to get a momentum going of actions and thoughts and processes geared towards leaving that said feeling or situation behind or dealing with it but once we name it we got to claim it we can't waste any time doing that so it's get moving behind the words that you put out there start doing the actions behind it and then lo and behold after a little bit of time you get some synchronicity or uh some synergy between everything and you find that something you can get past pretty easy you almost get back into alignment yeah with the self that you want to become it's your true self. I mean, it's fragmented and broken through the course of living just because living uh, isn't all roses and beauty. There's hard parts to life. There's ups and downs. And um, sometimes when we face a severe trauma or something, we have a hard time um, fully 
wrapping our head around the consequences or what it is, we uh, often, without knowing, fragment part of ourselves off. Almost lose a little bit of our soul or a piece of our heart um, in order to maybe avoid that trauma again or not deal with it at that time. But there never really is a good time. So we find ourselves always justifying, well, I'll deal with that later. I'll deal with that later. And little by little, uh, that piece that broke off of you becomes more lost in that new situation where you are uh, not quite at 100% becomes the normal. And then little by little, you start taking more percentage off and you find yourself in a situ- uh, sketchy situation. Because you're, you're talking about making something a habit mm-hmm. at that point. And visualization is such a big key into that because you're not just visualizing where you want to become, what, where you want to go. You're visualizing every component about it. And I think that's a huge part that people miss when it comes to visualization because mm-hmm. you're really not focused on the goal. You are, but you're focused mostly on the person that you have to become to achieve the goal. The feeling of what the it would feeling be like of what it would be like to be to that already person. Already have that, yeah. That feeling of that—that's life, or that's the normal of the feeling of having it. Yeah, because because if you can put yourself there, you can manifest it. Yep. Yeah, yeah. and you can and you can see it. You can see what it is. Mm-hmm. I've always said. And this is just from my own personal experience and from what I've seen and from what I've seen through other people's lives is that life is the hardest thing that everybody does hmm. yeah. because nobody gets out of it alive. No. Everybody dies. That's and, and that doesn't mean that you live a full, that you don't live a full life, that you don't live fulfilled and you don't live out of love, but nobody lives forever. You know, there are diseases of immortality or sorry of, yeah, there's diseases of immortality, which are cancer, where it's the multiplication of cells where it actually ends up killing you. Mm-hmm. You know, those are diseases because you live too long. You know, you have tumors because of that, because of this prolonged life period. Unfortunately, we do come with a life expectancy. Yeah. So, I mean, even if we're downloaded to the Internet. On the AI grid, I still think we have a life expectancy. That's such a weird concept, right? Because you're talking about pulling yourself out of one reality in order to supplement yourself into another. So-called permanently supplement yourself, which is just funny, interesting. But then at that point, don't you just prove that this all is just a simulation? (laughs) Because that's because that's what you're doing. You're pulling yourself out of one world and you're putting yourself into another. And you're just proving that this is just all... This isn't real. Simulated. Yeah. yeah, this is all simulated. This isn't real. You're pulling yourself out of it in order to put yourself into another game. I mean, yeah, when you look at it like that, it's kind of a <laughs> funny little paradox. It's a just... rat, rat race that you put yourself in or find yourself in. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, because you're talking about patterns it's almost you you, you're talking about a code you're talking about a sequence of Mm -hmm. events that happen and whether they're coincidental or not it seems like there is some sort of pattern we track things in order to understand them better and we understand their sequence so that we can anticipate them coming Mm -hmm. and when something comes out of the blue like a coronavirus or a pandemic, 
we have to track it better. We have to understand it more. We have to understand where it came from. And when there's a lack of information or we don't understand where something's coming from, that's where it irritates us because we've almost evolved past this point mm-hmm. where we can even predict a storm coming. I mean, don't trust a spaghetti model if you're talking about a hurricane. <laughs> but we can anticipate in our world of technology almost anything that comes our way there's almost no surprise that is such a weird thing right because we're talking about a world where all the edges are sanded there's no there's nothing hard well i shouldn't say that the world is becoming less abrasive and everyone has almost this safe space in order for them to communicate, not to have their ideas challenged and not to have themselves challenged. Mm-hmm. Everybody has to have their opinion respected, whether or not their opinion is based or true or not. And I've been guilty of that before as well. I know that, especially being a millennial. <laughs> but there has to there has to be a credence to truth in doing something that's difficult. Yeah. I mean, the, the ability, uh, the beauty of having an opinion is the being able to listen to someone else's opinion and not take it personally, which I find more and more people struggle with these days. Um, if they view it, it's an attack on their freedom or their intelligence. But I think part of the beautiful part of, yeah, freedom of speech or a platform to speak your mind is the ability to be on the other end and listen and respect it enough where you don't, you don't have to agree with it and you don't have to buy it, but you let the person speak their mind. It's as much as they let you speak your mind in the first place to voice your opinion. It's a two way street in that sense. Right. And there's also a flip side of that coin, right? Is Mm -hmm. that when you voice your opinion, if you're wrong and someone proves that you're wrong, Graciously. <laughs> you graciously bow out and you acknowledge that you are wrong and that you add that to your repertoire. <laughs> you now have patched the hole in the dam of your fucking argument. And that's the problem that I have with a lot of people is that they will die on their hill and they will shout and they will scream until somebody else comes along and realizes, hey, this person's shouting and screaming. This must be important. Mm-hmm. And so now you have a whole bunch of people that choose to not only live in ignorance, but are reinforcing one another that they are correct. And that is such a perpetual... It, it, it's such a perpetual loop of misunderstanding. And it's almost like we're living in that movie Idiocracy. Where how, if somebody's giving you facts and you're telling them that that's not my reality, okay, that's fine. But that's not, at least I don't believe that that's the real world. That doesn't make any sense to me. But that goes back to, that also might be almost a consequence of the word getting out about this manifestation. Where people believe that they can create their own reality and so they do and they surround themselves with people that are like-minded and so they create almost these 
vacuum sealed cultures where they're only interacting with people that have the same opinion. And when somebody else comes along that has a different opinion, they're just absolutely wrong. And you're saying that in a good or bad way? I think that it... The last it, part. I think that it can be good and I think that it can be bad because if you talk about ultimate competition, right? <coughs> if you put all the best players from the United States for basketball on the same team and you put them with the best coach, Mike Krzyzewski or Greg Popovich, whoever, and you tell them, hey, we're going to win a gold medal. And here's how we're going to do it. You're going to play the point. You're going to be the four. You're going to be the five. You're going to be the, you, you two are going to be the wings. And this is how we're going to run our offense. This is going to be how we run our defense. This is going to be our plan for this team, this team, and this team. And you reinforce that level of thinking mm-hmm. over and over and over again until they visualize them on the podium, what they need to do in order to get to it. Or even if it's a career where you have a team where, hey, we want to earn this amount of money in revenue this year. And the only way we're able to do it is that if we have this person, this person, and this person sell this ma- this many amount of this service and manage this many amount of these, these accounts and grow them by this amount. Mm-hmm. And you manifest that and you talk about it all the time and you talk about the plans that you do. And then whenever you hit a roadblock, you talk about what you're going to do when you hit that roadblock. So when you hit that roadblock, you've already visualized the thing that you do when you hit the roadblock. Mm-hmm. That can also be done in the negative sense, right? Where you have these people, and I'm not saying these people, I'm not trying to other people, but you have people who live in a perpetual ignorance where, let's say, I don't want to give a specific example because I don't have one right now. Actually, that's not true. I do. People that believe that everybody, I'm just going to say it, that, that gender is fluid or there is a credence to people switching teams. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't be able to feel however you feel and you shouldn't be able to identify with however you are. But you can't just take that identity on and then push it onto somebody else as the responsibility for them to acknowledge you correctly. And then to perpetually play that victim card over and over again Mm -hmm. as if it's their problem. No, it's clearly your problem because you're the person that's getting upset because somebody's calling you a him, a her, or not a non-binary term. Because people are not educated within our world to do that. That is a completely, that is a very big bridge to gap. And that I don't think is going to be done for another 50 years until we have some sort of reform within our own education system on that. We don't live in India where we have seven different genders to call people for people to identify themselves. We don't live in a Dharmistic society. It's We have a very black and white, abundant society 
where it's very much so a capitalistic game. It strikes home to you. Which part? Sounds <laughs> impassionate. I I studied gender in college, and yeah. I and I am a big proponent on women's rights, and I'm a big I'm a I, I am a feminist. I support gay rights. Mm-hmm. The one thing that I don't support is as soon as you take responsibility for something and you say, "Hey, this is what I want. This is who I want to become." Mm-hmm. I don't think that it is incumbent on somebody else to know what you're called. Yeah. As soon as you take up, once you take up that cross and you decide that that's yours to bear, it is now yours to bear. Just because it is inconvenient for you, for somebody else to call you something, doesn't mean that they are incorrect. It is now your job to educate people on what you want to be called. That is my personal opinion. I believe that everybody should be called whatever the fuck they want. They should be able to identify however they want. Yeah. But it is not incumbent of me to know what gender you are. It makes it makes it easier when it's educated from the source. Yeah. I'm not taking personally. Yeah. Because sure. it's... Because if I call you, a, if let's you want to be right, or you want to do what's right, or and I want to do what's right. Yeah. Let's say that you said, "Hey, Luke, my name is now Rochelle, mm-hmm. and I would like to be called her." I would respect that. It would be very weird to me because I've known you for three years and I know your family by now. But I would respect that because you're my friend, whether I think it's right or not, because that is not my that is not my place at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But if some but if the next day you said, Hey man, I'm actually like let's say that you said that like two months later. You said, Hey, I'm actually gonna be going back to Ryan. And I you know this is how you know, I actually was just experimenting. I'm going back to Ryan, I don't want to be called Rochelle. I am going to support that, but I'm also, as your friend, going to ask you a bunch of questions. And I'm going to try to dig deep and figure out what happened. Like what, how did you switch? How were, how did you become fluid with your gender? Is this something that you know is going to happen again? Do you switch from gender to gender now? Are you now bisexual? Are you heterosexual again? Are you gay? Like those are questions that are going to pop into my mind because you are my friend. Yeah. If you are a stranger... And you introduce yourself as Ryan. If that same situation happened, but you were a stranger. The backstory, I no longer care about. If you get upset with me, because you have now switched over and over again, and I have now remembered the sequence, I now have lost complete interest in trying to interact with you as a person because it has now become way too difficult to keep up with this perpetual stream of me giving a fuck to be completely honest, because I don't, it's not that I don't care. It's that it has now become more effort to interact with a stranger and I will just not talk to you. I will respect your space. I will respect who you are. I will respect the fact that you want to express your gender however you want to. 
but please do not leave it incumbent to me, especially if you just look the same, for me to remember whether you want to be called Ryan or Rochelle, whether you want to be called him or her. Fair. Fair assessment. I might be completely wrong and I might be considered a bigot. But people should be able to express themselves however they are. They should be able to love themselves however they want to. Because that's a hard thing to do. Mm -hmm. I found that self-love is one of the hardest things to do. But once you practice it, Mm -hmm. it becomes easier. It's a muscle. It's not a habit. It's a muscle that you have to exercise. Mm -hmm. but not everybody exercises the right way. Uh, That's not correct. I'm reneging that completely. Not everybody exercises the same way. People are different, and we're dynamic. We're complicated. I don't expect people that have dogs to know that I've gotten bitten on the face by one, no one would ever know. No one would ever know. Yeah. I had a really good plastic surgeon. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out. <laughs> yeah. God. It's been almost two years, man. It's been over two years. Yeah. I mean, very few remnants of a traumatic event that took place. Don't really see it governing mm-hmm. you or dictating your life at all. I think that I decided that I was going to live a great life in spite of it. In the beginning, when I was going down that journey and I was going to get help and I was going to work through that pain. And I was going to put myself around people that I knew that were going to support me. And I made a point of doing it without my parents. Just so you had that infrastructure in place. Well, anything ever happened to them? Do you know my full backstory? Um, Short story long. My dad won custody of me when I was around seven to nine years old. I can't remember because it was so long ago. Him and my mom divorced, and my mom was living with a gentleman at the time. I will not name his name, I will not give him that power. But he hurt me. He physically and sexually abused me. And I had blocked that out, still block it out. I don't remember a lot of it at the time because it's just not important to me. It's a part of my hero's journey, Mm -hmm. but it does not define who I am. It has helped me become the man that I have become, but I don't live in that trauma. Mm Mm-hmm. My my dad saved me from that. My dad got me out of that situation, got himself clean, got himself sober, married my stepmom, who I consider my mom. And this is the first real test that I've ever had to face in my adult life. Like the true like true adversity. Mm-hmm. And I I wanted help. But I didn't want to rely on my parents because my parents are very well off. My parents have a beautiful house on the water overlooking the Gulf of Mexico. 
and I didn't want to rely on them because I knew that I could do it, but I knew that I just had to take the time in order to find myself again because I knew that I was lost. And it was it was the most difficult and is the most difficult thing that I've ever had to deal with. Because on top of that, I'm having to work through this relationship that I have with my girlfriend, mm-hmm. which we were six months into this relationship. She's seeing me get bit on the face by this dog that were in training to have him rehabilitated because we didn't want to give up. And now because we're trying to do the right thing, we're having to go through way more pain than we could have ever imagined. I still deal with it. I'm not going to sugarcoat that i still have flashbacks i still have ptsd mm-hmm. it fucked me up for a while and you get to you got to see it at first hand you remember when i walked into that or when i walked in the grassroots for the first time afterwards because mm-hmm. i just i wanted to just be around people yeah it's a big part of your healing just to be seen in public yeah vulnerable and bitten up like that yeah Not a lot of people do no man i i think the best way to handle fear is you have to address it. It's almost immersion therapy. Mm-hmm. You have to f- confront it head on and you have to understand that it's going to go away. Mm-hmm. But you have to continue to address it until it goes away. Do you think uh, do you think fear's real? No. I think that it's I think that it's exactly what you said. I think that fear it's made up by our mind. Well it's about like a future event that hasn't happened yet. What if it's about a future event that's not happened yet? So, most of the time it's about Ex- like a future dive event. Dive a little bit deeper in that. I just find most of the time we're fearful of something that hasn't happened yet. I think that when you're afraid of something that hasn't happened yet, you're remembering something from your past. For sure. And this is... and. But is it a danger or is it a fear? I think that what you're trying to do, what your mind is trying to do whenever you're trying to grow, is it's trying to make life easier for itself. It doesn't want to work harder than what you're making it do right now. Especially if you're, go, if you're pushing yourself... Mm-hmm. past its limit okay. like oh i work 40 hours a week plus i do a podcast plus i'm doing yoga in the morning plus i'm also working on trying to figure out what type of supplements i'm trying to manufacture i'm talking from my own personal experience of course but let's say i'm talking about my friend Ma, who is a graphic designer plus makes bands at bandswear.co it's a little plug for you but she also is a dog mom and is in a relationship and also does CrossFit and is extremely fit and probably has some other side projects that she's working on. But she's working constantly. Mm-hmm. When fear comes into play, that when it comes to future events, it is two things. One, you are remembering a event in the past that is causing you to make 
a decision about something that has not happened yet and you are dwelling on that event in the past and you are reliving that cycle of fear and almost trauma that you were talking about before or your mind doesn't want to work harder than what it is right now and what by pushing yourself what you're doing is you're shedding yourself of that exoskeleton Mm -hmm. of complacency and of laziness and you're pushing yourself farther so that you can either evolve or learn from that situation in order to grow. I think that's well said right there. So fear technically is made up in the mind. Yeah. yeah. I take a lot of that from Joe Dispenza, though. Okay. I think that I don't believe the story about his back. You don't think he rebuilt his I back? I don't believe that he rebuilt his power back. power of the force. But I believe that he believes that he rebuilt his back. And that man... I think he was just a freak like, phenomenon that it, was, it healed, like one of those rare stories. Or I, you think it was going to heal no matter what? I think that it was a coincidence. I think that it, I think there's a little bit of a bend with the story. But I also believe that the message that he has is so pure yeah because what you, what he's talking about and for people that don't know dr Do, dr joe dispenza he is a neuroscientist and also a chiropractor the reason why he has the doctor to his name is because he's a doctor of chiropractic practice but he believes in this and i'm paraphrasing very much so paraphrasing with this is that through the practice of meditation within your everyday life that you are able to recenter yourself and then refocus so that you can live in the reality that you want to create. And by bringing yourself out of the present reality, you're able to tap into the metaphysical world and bring in the reality that you want to become. Did I say that correctly? Yeah. That is a very much so Cliff Notes version of what Joe Dispenza does. And if you don't know about his work, you should probably look up You Are the Placebo. And then there's, what is the other one? Drawing a New Body. Uh, There's one other one. I forget what it is. It's the most recent book. I will look it up and put it in the description of this podcast. But they're both great. But they're talking about just the actual real life application of meditation into every everyday life Mm -hmm. and being able to tap into that at any moment is a form of practice that you have to do in order to manifest the life that you want. Your beliefs control your reality, basically. And your reactions control your reality. Your reactions to those like, yeah. To your trigger. To the beliefs that you, yeah. How you think everything works or the story you tell yourself inside. Yeah. Because when somebody makes you upset and you get angry, you're fueling that person Mm -hmm. to then make you more upset because they're getting the reaction from you. Mm -hmm. And what he, he talks about in a lot, and there's an interview with him and Aubrey Marcus, and I'm a huge fan of Aubrey Marcus. I think that he's the bee's knees. But he goes over the situation where you're getting upset or you're getting angry to an old situation Mm -hmm. and you're reliving it 
And instead of acknowledging it and being like, oh, well, I'm doing that thing again. I might as well bring myself back. I might as well start acting like the way that I want to. You just go back to just being in that cycle again. Which is what we were talking about earlier. Which is one of the other main proponents of my coaching that we try to identify is these cycles that we find ourselves in. What are our triggers that send us there? What are our beliefs that we already suppose that are finite that dictate us? And um, we kind of uh, assess and dissect those things, like not only where they come from, but why they're there, what they're coping with, what kind of strategies behind it, even if it's subconsciously. Um, Because... It's amazing what, how much detail and events go on in our subconscious, even in waking life, pretty much 95% of the decision-making and internal input of ideas and beliefs come from that, even though we're not thinking it. It's just uh, wired into us, which can be changed, which is always a good thing. But um, How do you do that, though? How do you, how do you break that? Because you're, you're talking to your subconscious mind. It's... It seems like that is a lot of groundwork and a lot of foundational work. It's not work. as easy as just like say, hey, I'm going to talk to it. I'm whip out my subconscious right now and have a good conversation. Like, It's actually a very guarded place to get to. And, um, and truth, truthfully, I mean, there is no quick fix to it. Um, it's something that you work out over time. Um, it goes into... The neural pathways and then uh, the neuroplasticity of rewiring your brain and almost your beliefs or what you tell yourself and uh, you'll get different varying opinions but pretty much a minimum to like completely change a belief or pattern of that sense is about 21 days to uh, affirm it every day mantra it recognize it acknowledge it and then the last part, which is often the hardest part, is transmuting that negative into a positive, turning that weakness into a strength of how it's going to serve you from here on out in a good way rather than a hindrance or something that negates all the good work that you have done. It's actually there to help you along. Grabbing the sword, as mm-hmm. some would say. You mentioned earlier Joseph uh, Campbell, which I find a huge integral part of any uh, recovery or healing journey it's the the hero's work the hero's journey because we're all we're all defining our own story um on this mega odyssey that we call life some might think it's boring some might have it exciting but at the end of the day we're all the main character in this thing and um there's going to be ups and downs in it and uh recognizing that those are just part of the journey and they don't define the journey itself and eventually completing that journey when you look back at it you see that those things of hard times or distraught or things that wore you down or bore you down are actually the things that defined you and made you. And I, any kind of personal psychology or shadow work with Carl Jung and stuff, uh, which I usually am a fan of, I still think it all comes down to the Joseph Campbell work where uh, the psychology of our inner hero's journey. Yep. And that's how you write it yourself. Mm-hmm. I mean, circling back around, and I think that is a good place to stop for today, but we have so much more to talk about in terms of this, (laughs) that you are the author of your own story. And I know that sounds so corny, but 
you have the ability to live the best life that you can. And that is so defined differently for everybody else. For me, I know that's defined differently than you. And that's defined differently than my mom. And that's defined differently than my dad. Mm -hmm. And that's defined differently than, you know, Rochelle, (laughs) your other counterpart. Your alter ego. Your drag queen self. But um, I think that it's important for us to define who we want to become and then to get after it. You don't get anywhere without doing the work. It's not going to show up. No. You can talk about it all you want, but faith is nothing without works. You paint a beautiful picture of it. Thank you so much. (laughs) Anyone can, but it's not going to show up unless you go on that that adventure, that search for it, do the work like you said, put in your part of the bargain. Ryan, where can we find you on social media? Uh, Can we find you on social media right now? (laughs) (laughs) You can uh, email me in my personal email right now, or you can go onto my Instagram, which is commotion, K-U-M-O-T-I-O-N, commotion, creating a commotion out there and then uh personal email which you can find in the link or uh right here to set up coaching sessions with yours truly uh would be ryan cove cov12 ryan cove12 at gmail.com and i will put that in the description my name is lukey b i've been with ryan covington sir ryan covington short story long it's been another episode of the podcast thank you guys for listening And I will see you guys later.